You're listening to According to Sam, episode 105. All right, folks, welcome to According to Sam. This is episode 105. Um, guys, I really wanted to get back into uh, the European history and uh, talk about Charlemagne in this uh, podcast, but um, there is so much happening in the 21st century uh, that I need to cover. I uh, don't feel right about uh, ignoring, uh, you know, there's so much news and so so much going on right now that that I want to talk about uh, two major stories that I want to talk about in this podcast. And I don't don't feel right about not covering what's going on in the 21st century and uh, going back and uh, covering what went on in the uh, the eighth and ninth century. <laughs> we will get back to the eighth and ninth century. Uh, maybe in the next podcast we'll see what's going on. Uh, but uh, today um, I want to cover two big stories and I kind of want to tie them together and show the irony of what is going on in Canada and what is going on in Ukraine. Uh, there's this other major story, the uh, Durham uh, investigation, John Durham investigation, which is a huge story. If I mean, if you've been listening to my podcast, the very first podcast that I do uh, three years ago, over three and a half years ago now, the very first podcast of According to Sam, I cover Spygate. And uh, this whole uh, narrative around, uh, you know, Trump being spied on by the FBI um, and um, how uh, they they used information from uh, that spying to create political narratives to to harm Trump politically, create the Russia investigation. I, I talk about all of that uh, and have been talking about it uh, in my podcast uh, for years. Um, I don't really want to cover uh, this filing uh, from the uh, Durham investigation because that's all it is, is a filing. What, what happened on Friday of last week, someone from Durham's office uh, went down and, uh, you know, filed a bunch of papers to get a docket. And when they filed these papers, it became a uh, public record. This wasn't John Durham releasing any information. He's been very quiet, very tactical in this uh, investigation. The only reason we know anything about uh, this information that came out on Friday is because uh, of this filing and uh, this filing made it made it public. But. Um, I'm going to hold off on uncovering any of that until we get a final report uh, when Durham is uh, done working his way up. Because right now he's starting at the bottom and uh, he's going to indict people, get them to turn on people uh, that are higher uh, than them. If he can make deals with them, to, I mean, this is a long way off. So I don't, I don't really want to cover that story, but I do want to cover uh, Canada and uh, Ukraine. And uh, that's really all we're going to have uh, time for today. And we don't have much time. So let's get right into it. Let's start with this 
this clip and we're going to start talking about what's going on in Canada right now. Across the globe, 2019 has been a year of major protests. Demonstrations erupted over corruption, taxes, the climate, and much more, marking what experts say was a tipping point of ordinary people fed up with measures imposed by a ruling elite. From Paris to Hong Kong, Venezuela to Algeria, an outpouring of anger raged across nearly every continent, with millions rallying against their governments to tell their leaders, this isn't good enough. So this was all in 2019. Uh, actually, the protests started in early 2019. And um, like the clip said, I mean, multiple uh, countries, multiple continents, millions upon millions of people out in the streets protesting Hong Kong, France, uh, populist uprisings all over in 2019, people fed up uh, with their governments and the oligarchy controlling this world. Uh, take a listen to more of this clip. Take the Yellow Vest movement in France, an explosive start to the year. Tens of thousands of angry protesters put on their gilets jaunes and hit the streets. What started out as dissent over a rise in the fuel tax in late 2018 gradually morphed into a broader campaign against French President Emmanuel Macron. But Macron has managed to maintain his premiership. Leaders in other countries didn't. In February, a financial crisis and widespread fatigue at the decades-long rule of President Abdelaziz Bouteflika sparked Algeria's biggest protests in more than 20 years. On est contre le système. Within a matter of weeks, the old regime was gone. But that wasn't enough for Algerians, who carried on marching for months, calling for sweeping government reforms. And in Hong Kong, peaceful marches started in March over a remember Hong Kong. bill. By summer, escalated into the city's biggest political crisis in modern times, lifting the lid on frustrations and a lack of full autonomy going back decades. They say it's a fight for the future of Hong Kong, a fight that has grown increasingly violent, a fight that has continued to escalate. Week after week, month after month, pro-democracy, anti-government protests rocked the semi-autonomous city, leading to thousands of arrests and constant clashes between police and protesters. Withdrawing the bill wasn't enough to stop demonstrators' battle for greater democracy and quell what has become one of the most defining movements of the year. Democracy was also on the lips of protesters in Venezuela. At the end of April, the country seemed to be on the verge of a historic military and civilian uprising against the Maduro regime. Frustrated over the country's years-long slide into hyperinflation and government corruption, angry protesters had been taking to the streets for months, backing young opposition leader Juan Guaido and his calls for democratic change but the months of protests largely gave way after a failed coup. In other countries, marches were contained to a one-day event. During the annual May Day protests, millions of Cubans took to the streets in a government-organized event to protest U.S. sanctions imposed on the island and its neighbors. July ushered in protests of a less peaceful nature. Moscow saw the start of a summer of discontent, with tens of thousands of protesters calling for fair and free local elections. Police made sweeping arrests of demonstrators across the country, detaining thousands. And similar scenes unfolded in several other places throughout 2019, like Hong Kong or France. 
marking another pattern of the year as arrests became the norm in protests across the globe. At times, things got even uglier. August marked the culmination of nine months of chaos and clashes in Sudan. After bringing down the brutal 30-year dictatorship of Omar al-Bashir in April, demonstrations continued to call for a peaceful transition of power to democracy. But that hope took a fatal blow when a bloody military crackdown left more than 100 people dead in June. By September, the country was all in the same year, people. transition away from military rule. As the end of the year drew closer, this wave of global protests didn't show any sign of slowing down. Instead, events heated up. In October, over a million Chileans took to the streets throughout the country, demanding President Sebastián Piñera's resignation. The momentum is clearly here. We can expect that these protests are going to continue for a while. And as protests went on, demonstrators resorted to sometimes radical tactics, setting fires to shut down the capital of Santiago's entire metro system and using lasers to fight off police. Protesters in Lebanon also put novel tactics to good use in October as they formed a human chain the length of the country. Like so many other movements, their months-long calls for government reform were accompanied by eye-catching demonstrations and violence. Month after month, the human costs of demonstrations in 2019 became more staggering. Hundreds were killed in Iraq in November, hundreds more in Iran that same month. Both countries have imposed internet blackouts that have hindered news of these death tolls from spreading quickly. Iran also closed its borders, hoping to stem unrest. In some cases, leaders stepped down and governments bowed to some demands. Even when concessions were made, they did little to take the wind out of these movements. The anger, frustration, and yearning for change stayed strong, with many more protests raging across the globe, from Bolivia to Haiti to Zimbabwe, to name just a few. 2019 might be remembered as the year people pushed for equality, justice, and autonomy with new ferocity, leaving powerful marks upon the world. So what happened? What happened to all this this energy and ferocity? I like uh, this part right here. Governments bowed to some demands. Even when concessions were made, they did little to take the wind out of these movements. So even when he said some of the uh, leaders resigned and, and concessions were, were made, and even concession, when concessions were made, it did li- little to take the wind out of these movements. What happened? What, what did take the wind out of these populist uprisings all over the world in 2019 when everything seemed to be coming to a head? People are fed up all over the world and voicing their displeasure all over the world in huge numbers, masses of people. What happened to take the wind out of those sails? What, what happened to uh, extinguish that energy? Well, what happened was at the end of 2019, a little virus came on the scene, COVID-19, and everybody went indoors. Everybody stopped protesting. People were dying. People were, were focused on the global pandemic. Now, 
You guys know me. I'm not shy about saying, you know, my opinion. I, I believe that uh, that COVID-19 is a bioweapon that was released on the world purposely, probably for many different reasons. But I believe one of the reasons were, was to uh, to extinguish this this energy of populism that was sweeping the globe. I think that was part of it. And there's other reasons that I think that it was released on the world on purpose. That's my belief. You can believe what you want. But COVID-19 put an end to all of this energy, populist uprisings all over the world, um, and extinguished them. Well, not extinguished them. Let's say halted them, interrupted them, because uh, they seem to be coming back, starting with what's going on in Canada. But what's going on in Canada is inspiring uh, movements that they're calling copycat movements all over the world, New Zealand and France, um, even here in the United States. Take a listen to this clip. Canada's Freedom Convoy having a global impact. A U.S. version called the People's Convoy is now preparing for a trip across America, beginning in California just about a week from today. And the co-founder says there are now convoys coming from every direction. Now they're all over the they're all over the world. Um, like I said, New Zealand. Uh, France. Um, this is a report about Israel. Take a listen. All right. Now, speaking of controversial action, the so-called freedom convoys making their way from Ottawa to Jerusalem. Israelis inspired by the Jerusalem. Canada, <laughs> so, so this is going on everywhere. They, the, uh, the, the protests that they were planning here in the United States, the Facebook shut down their Facebook page. I mean, think about this. These are, I mean, think about if they would have done that to Black Lives Matter, shut down Black Lives Matter Facebook page, man. They're, I mean, they're scared to death because this is not something new. This is just, I mean, like I said, I mean, this was just interrupted by COVID 19. And now that uh, people are vaccinated, now that, uh, that the the variants of the virus that are out are, are, are milder and, and people aren't dying. You got a handle on this. We're at the tail end of this pandemic. Essentially, it's over. And now these populist uprisings are coming back and they're coming back with a force. <laughs> and what happened in Canada and it's interesting that this started with the Canadians, but this could have started anywhere. It has just re reignited this fire that was going on in 2019. It's absolutely amazing uh, to see what's going on. Now, uh, in Canada, they started uh, protesting because of uh, the, the truckers, because of a vaccine mandate. And um, if you were going to be driving trucks across the border from the United States to uh, Canada, they wanted to mandate that the truckers be vaccinated. And these truckers started to protest and it started with the vaccine mandate. But this is has morphed into something larger. And it is not uh, just in Canada. Like I said, this is going on all over the world now the mandates now this is a really interesting uh topic because 
like New Zealand. New Zealand's got one of the highest vaccination rates of any industrialized country. Australia as well. Australia's another place where they are uh, also mimicking this this uh, trucker uh, protest. I mean, this is happening everywhere. This is just picking up uh, and happening all over the world. And it started off uh, about now the media is calling these guys anti-vaxxers, anti-vaxxers. Most of these people probably are vaccinated. I know in Canada that they were saying that uh, many of the truckers who had been vaccinated were still taking part in it because it comes down to the mandate. People are just there was just fed up that governments were in spite of everything that has gone on then now you are mandating that people have to take um, experimental medicine <laughs> experimental medication and uh, and people even people that are vaccinated are taking part in the protest because it's not so much about the vaccination that it's all about the mandate. A really interesting segment from this past Sunday, uh, Fareed Sakari, um, on his show on CNN, he was talking about how um, there's so much anxiety around the economy in the United States, and um, and he really doesn't understand it because the economy is booming and um, everything is is great besides the inflation. But I mean, he makes the point that in the 1980s, inflation was more. I guess uh, that matters. But I he makes the case that uh, Joe Biden's poll numbers are. Uh, a reflection of people's attitude towards the economy, but people's attitude towards the economy is not based in fact, because if you look at the, the data, the economy is doing great. This is a really interesting clip. Let's listen. I want you to listen to Fareed Sakari uh, here, and I'm going to break down what he's saying because this has to do with the mandates. And I said this in my show. I said this on my podcast before the mandates even came. I told you the mandates were coming, and I knew that there was going to be a negative reaction to the mandates. But let's just talk about here in the United States, and we're going to talk more about what's going on around the world as well. Um, and, and quite frankly, like a lot of this has nothing to do i mean the mandates are just an excuse covid is is just an excuse like i'm trying to explain to you all of this energy uh was going on before covid19 <laughs> and then covid19 interrupted it and now we're at the end of covid19 and the mandates are just the latest excuse but people are going to start and you watch people are going to start demanding uh, a lot more changes than just uh, eliminating the mandates. I promise you, this is going to grow larger. It's going to be global, and it is going. Unless they release, they're going to release another virus on us. I mean, they could do that. I mean, I, I would put, I would put nothing past them. But um, the powers that be, the oligarchy. They are shaking in their boots right now. They're trying to get uh, everyone around the world is trying to get uh, Trudeau to to put an end to it in Canada because they realize that Canada is inspiring the rest of the world. And as long as they keep it going in Canada and in Trudeau, Trudeau's a weak leader. 
You know, like, there's, there's, I mean, there's only so much that he can do, and and he's in a real bind. And let me explain to you why he's in a real bind. Let's listen to this clip from Fareed Sakari first, and then I'm going to play another clip, and we're going to explain why Trudeau is in the real bind because uh, the pressures are coming on him from other world leaders, particularly here in the United States, the Biden administration, because they see that this is inspiring other uprisings all over the world and it absolutely is okay uh farid sakari here and then we're going to play another clip after farid there is a puzzle at the heart of american political life right now why are people so gloomy about an economy that is so strong i'll get to inflation in a moment but almost no economist predicted the force of the current recovery growth in 2021 came in at 5.7 percent the highest in almost 40 years. The unemployment rate is 4%. Poverty has fallen below pre-pandemic. Everything's great. He's telling you how great everything is. He doesn't understand why everybody's so gloomy. New businesses are forming at a record rate. Bankruptcies are falling. And American savings are healthy. The job numbers are so good that Senator Ron Johnson has refused to urge the Oshkosh Corporation to use federal funds to manufacture trucks in his home state. He said, it's not like we don't have enough jobs here in Wisconsin. The biggest problem we have in Wisconsin right now is employers not being able to find enough workers. The state's unemployment rate is just 2.8%. But what about inflation? Data released this week showed that the consumer price index rose by 7.5% year-on-year, an almost 40-year high. That sounds scary. And inflation is too high. That sounds scary. This guy's a, 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 a probably a multimillionaire, uh, probably uh, in the 1% of earners in the United States, and 7.5% inflation, he says that sounds scary. Yeah, not to you. 0.5% year-on-year, an almost 40-year high. That sounds scary. And inflation is too high, partly caused by a too large COVID relief bill. But the fears of ever escalating prices are probably exaggerated. Year over year, inflation rose to 7.5 percent. But as forecaster Mark Zandi notes, the increase is only from the extremely low. All right, I don't have time for all this. He's, he's telling you how good it is. He's telling you how great everything is. And, and, and then he comes to the point where he just he wants to explain why Biden, his poll numbers are so low. Why, if everything is so great, like Fareed Zakari is saying here, he's trying to explain to you why or he's trying to ask the question, why are Biden's poll numbers so low? rate of 0.6% is much lower than in October, for example. Crucially, according to calculations from the Center for American Progress, Americans' disposable incomes rose in 2021. Everything's great. Everything is so great. Why is Biden's poll numbers in the 40s? This is what he's getting to. A Gallup poll in January found that 82% of Americans felt that the country was on the wrong track. Joe Biden has the lowest approval ratings for this point in his presidency compared to any modern president other than Donald Trump. A number of commentators chalk this up to the COVID effect. New York Magazine's Ed Kilgore writes, when life stinks, the president's job approval numbers are low. New York Times columnist Paul Krugman points out 
that by historical standards, inflation is not all that high and wages are in good shape. So he faults a media. Everything's great. Paul Krugman, he says it. It's great. What's wrong with you guys? As a result, he notes, Republicans believe that the economy today is worse than in June 1980, a time when inflation was 14 percent and real wages were declining 6 percent a year. The Times' Nate Cohn makes a persuasive case that the timing of Biden's falling numbers. And this is the part where I want you to understand. This is the part that I, that I really want to get to um, that brings us back to the theme of our podcast. I was blown away by this segment, you know, that uh, Fareed Sakari's like, you know, everything's great. <laughs> The economy's booming. The recovery's been awesome. Growth last year was 5.7%. You know, we have a little bit of inflation, inflation at, at 7.5%, but it's no big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why is everybody so gloomy about the future and, and, and our economy mainly getting back to Biden's poll numbers? Why are Biden's poll numbers in the 40s? What's going on? So um, he... He references this guy, Nate Cohen, and they start to uh, dissect and looking at the poll numbers. When did Biden's poll numbers start to take this nosedive and and take a listen to what they say here? And real wages were declining six percent a year. The Times' Nate Cohen makes a persuasive case that the timing of Biden's falling numbers suggests two causes, Delta and Afghanistan. So Delta and Afghanistan, the timing of the Delta variant hitting the United States and the Afghanistan withdrawal. withdrawal. I mean, that's late August. <laughs> that's the, I mean, the same, the, there's a variable you guys are missing. At that same time, when Delta hit and, and the buffoon Biden uh, totally uh, mismanaged the withdrawal from Afghanistan, got Americans killed. All that coincided with the mandates, <laughs> with the announcements for the mandates, starting to implement the mandates that all came in. And I told you on this show, I told you, first of all, that they were using the carrot, the incentives, the positive reinforcement in the beginning, and then they were going to start using the stick and that the mandates were coming. And then when the stick came, I told you when it was coming, they started to implement the mandates and you immediately started to see his poll numbers take a dive. And people want to talk about Afghanistan. They want to talk about his failures uh, on COVID, but nobody wants to talk about the variable that people in the United States were turned off. Biden's poll numbers started to decline when he started to implement mandates, something that he had promised before that he wouldn't do. Joe Biden had said that he would not implement mandates at, uh, before <laughs> when he ran and he had and, and, and when he uh, was elected from the period that he was elected until August. When the mandate started, when uh, the failure in Afghanistan happened, um, all of this happened at the same time, and people started to blame the withdrawal in Afghanistan and blame his um, his failures uh, to to what did he say he was going to do to to COVID? I'm gonna I'm gonna shut down the virus. His failures to shut down the virus. Uh, people attribute it uh, to that the media attributes it 
to his failing poll numbers to those two issues. And people do not want to talk about the mandates, the fact that people were turned off of the mandates and the mandates are what people are reacting to nationwide. And like I said, I mean, it's starting, it starts off just like in Canada. It starts off uh, as a, a protest against the mandates, but then it expands to other issues and people demanding more uh, from their governments. And that's what's going on. So uh, Trudeau is in a bind. Like I was saying, he's in a real bind. He's uh, seized emergency powers. <laughs> <laughs> like Hitler did after the Reichstag fire in uh, 1933, uh, seized emergency powers. That's what Trudeau has done in, in Canada. Now, and take a listen to this clip. Why, even um, after seizing emer- emergency powers, he's in a bind, particularly with this larger group in Ottawa, in the uh, capital of Canada. And uh, this clip explains why. An aggressive move, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau invoking the Emergencies Act to crack down on anti-vaccine mandate protests. This move allows the federal government to expand measures to clear the blockades by hundreds of truckers that are disturbing residents and harming the economy. CNN's Paula Newton is live for us in Ottawa with more. These are pretty sweeping powers allowed by this act. Tell us what's happening here, Paula. Yeah, the issue is, will it make any difference, Brianna? And good morning to you. Think about it. This city is in a state of emergency. The province is in is in a state of emergency. Now, Trudeau has called the uh, this a national emergency and has enacted the Emergencies Act. Brianna, the trucks are still here. And the issue here has always been one of enforcement. Now, Trudeau has been categorical saying, look, I don't take this lightly. This is going to be... And they can't enforce it because uh, the tow truck companies are 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 saying that no, we're not going to go and tow these trucks away. We're not going to uh, go and and so they don't. The tow truck companies are private, um, so I wonder if these emergency powers are going to uh, let uh, the Fura Trudeau go and seize these tow truck companies and make the tow truck companies go. I mean, because these powers that he has uh, declared for himself, I mean, he's the Fura. <laughs> <laughs> he's the Fuhrer of Canada. So, um, so yeah, that's why even though he's declared these powers and uh, taken these uh, actions, the trucks are still there. Uh, but these powers, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what he does. But as far as clearing the crowd there in Ottawa, take a listen to more of the clip. Here. And the issue here has always been one of enforcement. Now, Trudeau has been categorical saying, look, I don't take this lightly. This is going to be geographic in nature, in scope. It is going to be absolutely, uh, the guardrails will still be there, in other words, Brianna. What else did they do that was really interesting? Uh, They ended up bringing in financial measures. What does that mean? It means they are going to try and go after the money that is funding these groups. That includes those crowdsourcing platforms like GoFundMe, which I should. And that's a form of protest. I want you to understand that people that are at home that can't uh, go to Ottawa, that can't uh, risk their their jobs and their livelihoods, just the mere fact that I'm going to donate to this cause, that's a form of protest. I want you to understand that. So these these banks and these groups uh, like GoFundMe 
and even the state going after these funds. And it, again, imagine them doing that to, to Black Lives Matter. I mean, Black Lives Matter, they raised over $90 million here in the United States. And it's $60 million unaccounted for. They've dissolved their uh, national chapter. They have uh, attorney generals, the attorney general of California going after Black Lives Matter. But could you imagine back in uh, 2020 and uh, when Black Lives Matter was going on, if if a a state or an attorney general decided to seize those funds or try to seize those funds, I mean, this is outrageous, people. And but I just wanted to make the point that 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 donating to these causes and millions of dollars, up to ten million dollars in in on I think on GoFundMe it was ten million dollars, and then they raise another uh, uh, ten million on the. Um, on the other, I forget the name of the other site that they went to after uh, GoFundMe, something start go, um, but another $10 million. <laughs> so that's a lot of money. That's a lot of people in support of these movements is what I'm trying to, um, that money is speech. Okay. That's what I'm trying to get you to understand. Includes those crowdsourcing platforms like GoFundMe, which I should say had already suspended funds for this convoy. Uh, but also the, the truckers themselves, they're saying they're going to pull licenses, insurance, even freeze bank accounts. Uh, Brianna, some of these people may go to the ATM, try and get, get out money and can't. Uh, I think what many people are skeptical of is whether or not this was even needed. The reason it is all about enforcement. People here in this city, Brianna, have been absolutely livid about the fact that police officers are here. I see them each and every day, and there is absolutely no enforcement. I also have to say, Brianna, this is an issue that Ottawa police, at least here, say is a complicated one. Why? They say that there are dozens of children in this protest with their families in the cabs behind me, although I hope not this evening because a lot of them is very cold and I hope a lot of them found places to stay. And police say that this complicates things beyond belief. It complicates things. That is why Justin Trudeau is in a bind because the kids are a game changer. The kids have, they want to stormtroop them. <laughs> they want to stormtroop them. I guarantee you. They want to roll through and with gas and uh, rubber bullets and they want to stormtroop them so bad. But if they, if, if it goes across this uh, globe uh, on on the evening news in in countries across the across the globe that Justin Trudeau has stormtrooped a bunch of children, and you see that on video, and it's on the nightly news, and it goes around the net, and it's on the twitters, and you see children getting trampled by the stormtroopers. That is going to be a huge issue. That would you think that this protest is has ignited global protests already and is inspiring global protests right now? You see a bunch of children get stormtrooped. <laughs> you see, you see the Canadian fascists go through and start stormtrooping a, a bunch of kids. That will set their agenda back more than 100 years. That would really inspire global protests. So he's in a bind. These kids have changed the game. And there's tons of kids there. And they're all happy and playing and dancing, having a great time. <laughs>
and police say that this complicates things beyond belief. You will not see the military step in here beyond, at least that's what Trudeau says right now. What they want is the laws in place. We have seen more aggressive measures, especially at the borders, at those really key supplies. Because there's no kids there. In the United States and Canada. It could be a different picture here, though, and it seems police... Because there's kids there. She, she says that, yeah, you saw more aggressive... You saw the stormtroopers. You saw the more aggressive tactics at the other protests that were going because these protests are going on all over Canada. Um, you saw more aggressive tactics where the kids, where there were no kids, but in Ottawa, he's in a bind because of these kids. Now, they are um, resorting to some more aggressive tactics in Ottawa that don't um, have anything to do with violence or stormtrooping kids uh, tactics like she said seizing people's bank accounts uh, going after the fuel it's freezing in Ottawa right now uh, many of these uh, truckers they uh, live in the cabins of their trucks that they um, have to keep heated and they need fuel for that so um, they're seizing the fuel uh, they're seizing the bank accounts um, they are uh, they're taking some very aggressive uh, tactics and some of the rhetoric too. Uh, they're telling people that um, after this is all over, we're going to come after you. We are going to uh, take your um, your license. You're not going to be able to drive trucks anymore. We're going to uh, make your life living hell when this is over. The I mean, instead of uh, you know coming and, and trying to negotiate and uh, come to some type of consensus. Uh, with these many, many Canadians that are speaking out about uh, their displeasure about the Trudeau regime. And instead of coming and talking to them and trying to negotiate them, uh, the Fuhrer is taking a very hard line uh, tactic. He just, I mean, I'm telling you, they want to. They're itching to stormtroop those kids, but they can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, take a listen to this clip. This is, uh, I think, the police chief in Ottawa. We're going after the fuel. We're going after any vehicle conveyance, including horseback, people carrying jerry cans. We are arresting and seizing, and we are interdicting fuel going into the demonstrations. And Facebook did shut down the page that was talking about bringing a similar protest here to D.C., saying that it violated their policies when it comes to conspiracy theory, specifically QAnon. And Listen to that. So this is a report uh, here in the United States, and they said this guy just said that Facebook, the reason that they shut down the group that was talking about a protest here in the United States is because it violated uh, their terms on conspiracy theories, QAnon conspiracy theories. Man, it's crazy world we're living in. was talking about bringing a similar protest here to D.C., saying that it violated their policies when it comes to conspiracy theories, specifically QAnon. And when I talked with one of those organizers who wanted to remain anonymous, he says that he disavows QAnon. He created a new page, but ultimately, again, he does not believe that a protest will end up making its way to D.C. We'll see. We'll see. They're, they're they're planning uh, one here in the United States. Um, so Trudeau, I mean, this guy, I swear, this guy wore blackface. Remember um, the pictures of him in blackface? And um, he, I, 
I don't know if you remember also where he was at some event and he was praising the LGBT um QPI uh, community and he forgot all the you know he's really down for the cause you know but he he comes out and you know how the intelligence you know operations work they send a couple of guys out with the Nazi flag and or they had even uh, confederate flags <laughs> confederate flags in in Ottawa a guy walking around with a confederate flag so that gives cause for the media to say, oh, look, the groups, they're racist. They have the, the Nazi flag. They have the Confederate flag. This is a group of racists. Even though there's tons of video, I mean, the, everything that's going on has been live streamed and video. There's so much video documentation about who these people are. They're telling you why they're there. Uh, they're not um, incoherent or irrational. I mean, some very, very good uh, well-spoken people talking about what their obje- objectives are and it's all over the net. You can't paint these people as racist and say that um, that that they're motivated by racism or they were saying that this this is Canada's insurrection. That's uh, I know. Take a listen to this clip. This is the super cut about uh, how all the media uh, calls it uh, an insurrection. It's hilarious. In Canada, it's an insurrection now too. Sedition, insurrection, a threat to democracy. This city is under siege. They are now calling it an occupation. Alarming situation there in Ottawa. The police chief is calling it a nationwide insurrection driven by madness this is kind of our insurrection by air horn moment <laughs> kind of our insurrection and see basically what they're doing to me they've killed the word insurrection they're in, the word insurrection doesn't have meaning anymore if if uh truckers driving their trucks to the capital of canada in protest if that's an insurrection then you know What's not an insurrection, basically? I mean, it, it, they've weaponized the word insurrection, just like racism. Racism doesn't have any meaning anymore because they've weaponized it for politics. So now they're using insurrection, the word insurrection, as a weapon, just like racism. And frankly, uh, Justin Trudeau, uh, he whipped out all of it. He he uses insurrection. He uses uh, racism. All of the the words that that they have uh, they have captured to use for their uh, political uh, objectives. Uh, racism being one. Uh, I guess now insurrection another. Uh, this tweet that. Um, Justin Trudeau put out a couple of weeks ago when this all started. He's got it all in here. This is a tweet that uh, pr- Justin Trudeau put out. Um, this is a couple of weeks ago. I don't have the date on it, but it says today in the House, members of Parliament unanimously condemned the anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, anti-Black racism. I guess anti-White racism is fine. Uh, homophobia and transphobia that we've seen on display in Ottawa over the past number of days. This is a real tweet that the Prime Minister of Canada put out. Uh, Unanimously condemn anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, anti-black racism, homophobia, transphobia that we've seen on display. None of this has been on display in Ottawa. Together, let's keep... Uh, working to make Canada more inclusive. And he even follows up. He came comes out with the speech 
and uh, take a listen to what he says here about the um, all of this, you know, these these trigger words that they they have captured these trigger words that they're using uh, as political weapons. And insurrection's one of them now, but he's got them all here in in his tweet: homophobia, transphobia, <laughs> uh, uh, anti-Semitism, and Islamophobia. <laughs> and this is his address when he finally came out of hiding, and he reinforces that that these people are racist, you know, because you see, you know, one Nazi flag that's probably from an intelligence agency out there trying it's subterfuge. They they come out with the Nazi flag, with the Confederate flag, so then the media can turn and call these people uh, racist. And and this is this is a play. This is in the playbook. This is in the playbook. They're this is and and he's showing you the way that they're using it here in Canada. Canada doesn't, you know, have the same history that the United States has with racism. Not saying that Canada's perfect and there's no racism up there, but they don't they don't have the same history that that we have. And what I'm showing you is that uh, it's just being used as a political tool up there and here, but it's more uh, noticeable in Canada when you start seeing the Canadian prime minister start using all these, you know these these terms that that he's just captured for a political purpose uh, here's the speech that he gave when he came out of hiding using the same tactics i know you're wondering about what you saw in our capital city this weekend as my friend erwin kotler said on saturday freedom of expression assembly and association are cornerstones of democracy but nazi symbolism racist imagery and desecration of war memorials are not. It is an insult to memory and truth. Hate can never be the answer. Over the past few days, Canadians were shocked and frankly disgusted by the behavior displayed by some people protesting in our nation's capital. I want to be very clear. We are not intimidated by those who hurl insults and abuse at small business workers and steal food from the homeless. I mean, I, I really haven't looked into this uh, this claim about them stealing food from the homeless. I, I, I guess I need to. But if even if it was a few uh, bad apples, I mean, the live video, uh, the people who have uh, put out videos explaining why they're there, um, the I mean, the vast majority of the people there have been peaceful, um, even if there are a few bad apples and who knows if they are subterfuge or part of intelligence agencies or what just to uh, defame uh, the entire protest. But he's definitely trying to discredit, marginalize and disf- and defame the, the protesters here by using this rhetoric about them being racist and homophobic, Islamophobic, transphobic. I mean, these are weapons that he's using, and he's using them to to marginalize and defame and discredit the protest. And it's really beautiful that uh, many uh, people of color, um, African African Canadians, I was going to say African Americans, but um, Canadians of African descent 
and uh, Canadians of color from all over the world have uh, started this movement to push back against uh, Justin Trudeau and him trying to use uh, racism to discredit the, the protesters. And um, it's beautiful. I wish the the people of color in the United States were as smart as the people in, in Canada and saying that, hey, don't use us for your fascist agenda. I wish the black people in the United States were that smart to, to tell the Democrats, hey, stop using us for your fascist agenda. But take a listen to this clip about all the people of color uh, coming out in Canada telling Justin Trudeau, don't use us for your fascist agenda. We support the truckers. Liberal politicians and mainstream media corporations want you to believe that the trucker convoy in Ottawa is racist. The first line of attack on the truckers was to focus public attention on bizarre, still unexplained images of horrible Nazi and Confederate flags being waved at the protest. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau can barely do a press conference these days without mentioning racism, and Canada's socialist political party, the NDP, even brought a legislative bill forward to ban particular symbols of hate, but they are wrong. It will be uncomfortable for some to read this, but the truth must be said, we have no reason to believe the majority of truckers in the convoy are racist. In fact, appropriate for the month of February, the trucker convoy is actually a black history moment. Countless trucker convoy participants and supporters are black. A popular Instagram account called Poc4 Freedom Convoy, Shorthand for People of Color for Freedom Convoy, with over 60,000 followers has documented the outpouring of support that the trucker convoy received from members of black communities across Canada. The account's first post is a picture of Chanceline Rukundo that reads, I am Burundian slash Canadian and I support the hashtag Freedom Convoy 2022. I've seen dozens of other black Canadians sharing videos and pictures demonstrating their support for the convoy, many of them pushing back against the divisive racism narrative being pushed by Trudeau and the media. And though the media has largely pushed Trudeau's line about racism, National Post columnist Rupa Subramanya, who lives in Ottawa, has documented the diversity of the trucker convoy. Subramanya's Twitter feed is awash in images and videos of black Canadians joining the protest with messages like hate is the real virus. So it's really sad that those people have to do that and uh, push back on Trudeau uh, like that. But um, when you see, if you go and you um, look at that Twitter page that was uh, mentioned, or if you go on YouTube and you look at some of the videos of uh, these black Canadians and uh, Asian American Canadians and Canadians of all different uh, races and cultures and, and ethnicities all pushing back on this uh, narrative. Uh, it really is beautiful, but it's sad that, that they have to. And I wish that people of color in the United States could see through this uh, little game that they are using to divide us. Um, now, I wanted to make a relationship with uh, with what's going on in Ukraine as well, because it's really ironic that you have this movement that is going on in Canada and uh, people are, you know, out in the streets and they're pushing back against their government, just like Black Lives Matter, just like what happened in Ukraine in 2014. And we were 100% supportive of Black Lives Matter and behind them as a movement. Um, and we were 100 because of George Floyd. George Floyd galvanized everyone. And we were behind Black Lives Matter in 2020 uh, without even, you know, thinking. <laughs> It was just, you know, reflexive 
And then um, in 2014 in Ukraine, when I played the clips uh, a couple of podcasts ago of uh, George Soros saying that um, he put uh, his his um, open society organization in Ukraine in 1990. And 25 years later, what was happening at the Maidan was largely because of of him and his uh, political philanthropy in uh, Ukraine. The organization on the street created the the ground movement and the protests uh, that the Americans, the Obama administration, were 100 percent behind the people that are orchestrating a coup d'etat in Ukraine. We're 100% behind those people. We're, we're 100% behind Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter and uh, the the uprising in Ukraine, all funded by George Soros. George Soros are funding you know, Black Lives Matter on the streets here and also uh, in Ukraine funding the uprising that was happening there in the Maidan. But just like Black Lives Matter here in the United States, there's also the Antifa element, the black element, uh, black on black. Um, And you saw the Antifa element all over um, the Black Lives Matter uh, protests, you know, setting fires, burning down buildings, all of the, most of the violence. This is the Antifa element. Well, in Ukraine, they don't have Antifa. It's the same concept. It's the same group. They black on black. They cover their faces and they go around terrorizing people in in Europe and particularly in Ukraine. In 2014, the group is called Black Block, and Black Block is like Antifa. But it is Antifa in Europe, and Black Bloc is a terrorizing group uh, that goes around and uh, tries to intimidate and um, and terrorize for political uh, objectives. And just like uh, Antifa and Black Lives Matter was funded by George Soros and here in the United States and still is, uh, Black Bloc. Uh, was funded and supported by uh, George Soros in Ukraine. Take a listen to this clip. On February 23rd, 2014, the very next day after the regime change, the new government voted for an annulment of the official status of the Russian language. And even so this is this is after the coup had already taken place, and the new government. This is act after uh, Viktor Yanukovych had uh, fled uh, Ukraine. And um, we talked about that and what happened at the Maidan. So the new government takes over. And and what a lot of the conflict is about is about half of the country speaking Russian and half of the country speaking Ukrainian. And um, the the Ukrainian nationalists, they want to outlaw Russian speaking. They want to basically uh, get rid of the native Russian people out of the country. They don't want to have anything to do with Russia. They want to be cleansed uh, of Russia. So the new uh, government takes over and uh, after the election and the coup d'etat. Um, and the first thing that they do is outlaw the Russian language. This decision was vetoed by the acting president, Alexander Turchinov. It still sent a message. 
and a powerful one. This alarmed the Russian-speaking cities of eastern Ukraine, and people took to the streets to show their disagreement. In response, pro-Maidan groups conducted their own demonstrations. So pro-Maidan groups, they're talking about the Soros people, and the Soros uh, uh, group is not just uh, protesters. It also includes these black bloc Antifa uh, hooligan thugs that are going around intimidating people. So the Russians come out uh, to protest the new government and the fact that the new government's trying to outlaw their language. So George Soros pro Maidan group, uh, they also come out um, to oppose them and the black bloc uh, thugs start to intimidate the Russian, I mean, really intimidate, starts beating them and um, and forcing them to stand down and accept the new government is what went on. When the two parties would meet, it was always tense, and eventually it led to tragedy. One person died and over 50 people were wounded in clashes during a pro-Russian march protesting the new government in Kiev. On April 6th, the Crimean scenario began repeating in eastern Ukraine, where protesters seized government buildings. And the next day, April 7th, they proclaimed Donetsk People's Republic. Kiev replied by announcing the beginning of an anti-terrorist operation in eastern Ukraine. By that time, the international media was screaming about a Russian invasion in Ukraine. Russia could now be on the verge of invading Ukraine. But strong words stayed only. I mean, listen to that. That's, I mean, that clip could be from today, from just yesterday. <laughs> listen to that again. Russia could be on their way to invading Ukraine. It's the same thing, same story that they're telling today. It's hilarious. Russia could now be on the verge of invading Ukraine. But strong <laughs> words stayed only in the media. The Ukrainian authorities never announced a warlike situation. Why? IMF cannot give money to countries engaged in ongoing war. Petro Poroshenko. So, yeah, I really would love to be able to get into, remember Biden at the CFR, Council on Foreign Relations meeting, bragging about the fact that he told him, if you don't fire the prosecutor investigating my son, if you don't fire the prosecutor, you're not going to get the IMF loan. Yes, because the IMF loan was important. Uh, they had to you know, keep investing. They had invested so much money in Ukraine. They wanted to keep investing in, in Ukraine. And the IMF loan, uh, it's a huge uh, part of it because once you uh, start the IMF loans, then you basically own the uh, country. But it was a coup d'etat. I mean, there was nothing democratic about that. And, and that's the narrative that we're hearing now is that um, we have to go and and protect Ukraine because they're democratic. There was nothing democratic about what went on in 2014. There's nothing democratic about what uh, the current government of Ukraine is doing to the Russian people, Russian speaking people of Ukraine. Uh, this guy was on Tucker Carlson last night. I'm going to play this clip. Where I mean, I'm 
pressed for time here, but I want to play this clip and I want you to listen to what this guy says about what's going on to to the Russian speaking people of Ukraine. And you tell me if this is the type of country that we should be wasting blood and treasure defending what is up with Ukraine. Take a listen. You know, anytime the foreign policy establishment wants to get uh, Americans involved in a conflict, um, they always, you know, present certain facts and not others. So we can do a dozen different segments on different misrepresentations of what's going on in Russia and Ukraine. Um, And I think that most people understand that the U.S. has no real national security interest uh, in Ukraine. Ukraine has been part of Russia throughout history, and sometimes it's not been. That's never mattered for Americans. And so what they rely on is a sort of moral argument. We're fighting, you know, the people who think that democracy is hanging on by a thread in the United States. Uh, They tell us we have to stand up for uh, democracy in Ukraine against authoritarian Russia. So accepting their premise, let's just sort of talk a little bit about uh, what modern Ukraine is like. Uh, in 2014, the current iteration of Ukraine, they came to power in a, uh, the, the basically the new government uh, came to power in a coup that overturned that uh, overthrew an, a democratically elected uh, government. Nobody, nobody denies this. And how they've been behaving in the last eight years since in 2019, uh, they had a presidential election. Uh, Zelensky, the current president, won. Uh, the, f- the former president, uh, Poroshenko, has been accused of uh, treason and put under house arrest. They also had parliamentary elections. Um, Zelensky's party was the biggest uh, was the biggest winner there. But then they went after the second biggest party. They shut down their TV stations. Uh, they seized the assets of the uh, biggest financial backer of the party. Um, Ukraine also, I mean, in recent years, shut down the biggest social media site in the country. Uh, basically think the Russian equivalent of Facebook, that's just taken completely off the internet. Um, they passed the uh, language laws that now say you can't be educated in Russian. And also that um, basically national media cannot be cannot be printed in Russian anymore. I mean, with some technicalities, but basically everyone recognizes that this is going to end uh, Russian language media uh, on a national scale. And so you can imagine if it, after 2020, Biden comes into office, uh, he puts um, he puts Trump under arrest. He goes after the uh, main donors of the Republican Party. Uh, he shuts down Fox News and conservative media, shuts down Facebook and Twitter uh, because, you know, that's where conservatives congregate, uh, shuts down, say, Spanish language uh, media in Florida because the people who use that language, um, you know, are, are against Biden. Um, would anyone on earth think that this was a, a government behaving democratically? Um, well, there's nothing democratic. Not. There's nothing. If you know about what went on in Ukraine from the coup in 2014 up until this present day and what is going on uh, with the Russian speaking uh, population in the eastern part of Ukraine and, and how they're being treated and dehumanized. Um, if you know what's going on, there's nothing democratic about that. There's no reason for us to be there and for us to, to think that we're doing something good by defending the government in Ukraine at all. And I mean, if we really wanted to stand behind a something positive, we would stand behind the people in Canada. <laughs> To be in that, I mean, that's the type of you know people that we want to be. The people that uh, that support uh, people that are fighting against tyranny. But I mean, I guess we support tyranny <laughs> because if we support what the government, the current government in Ukraine, is doing to the Russian-speaking people, they're terrorizing them. They're getting you to support it because they've made Russia out to be some boogeyman. 
mean, there's so much more that I wanted to say on that, too. Um, right, be back with the next episode, episode 106, next Tuesday. Thank you guys so much. Please visit the website. Uh, please uh, go to the store, huntersstash.com. Thank you guys so much for listening. <laughs>